Good morning. I know a lot of the people here, but we've been gone since about May, and there are a lot of new faces, a lot of new cars in the parking lot, too. Uh, my name is Pete DeBrule. My wife, Trish, and I were members here for several years, and uh, South Paris Baptist Church sent us to uh, be members of another church closer to home where we're working and uh, as Brian explained to you, and it's always hardest to live up to the introduction, right? As Brian explained to you, he and I still have lunch every once in a while, and he told me about the sermon series he was gonna do, and I got pretty excited about it. And I said, well, if there's anything I can do to help, meaning if you'd like to bounce some ideas off of me. <laughs> The next thing I knew, I was teaching, not just teaching, but teaching the finale. All right, so um, I'll do the best I can. Thank you, Pastor Brian. I, I went to put on, I, I tend to be a bit animated, I went to put on the microphone. I'm teaching about arrogance. That's an extension of pride. I'm teaching about arrogance, and it was driven home to me when my head was too big for the <laughs> microphone to fit on. So you'll just have to make do with, with what we're doing here. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence, having sung about the Holy Spirit, having lifted up how beautiful everything associated with you is, we pray that the words that are spoken and the ears that hear them would both be working in combination with your wisdom and your love. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well... For those of you who have been in other places, you know that when you sit under Pastor Brian's teaching, you sit under someone who has been made an authority in his subject. You know, there's an old joke that goes something along the lines of, after last week's 27-point sermon, today's sermon will be pointless. Well, that kind of is how I feel when I follow Brian, we, we have different style and different approach, uh, but hopefully in both cases, Jesus is glorified. Amen. So for the last six weeks, you've been listening to an earnest appeal to preserve and promote true peace within the body of Christ. Did anybody not know that? When Brian started out, he made seven points that he wanted to characterize the teaching that would follow. Those seven points, the goal of the series would be, what would it be like for members of a church family to be virtually impossible to offend and quick to forgive? What would it be like for the members of a church family to have the ability to put up with a lot and always assume the best about each other. 
What would it be like for the members of a church family to have no interest in putting each other down, but only to outdo one another in honoring each other? What would it be like for the members of a church family not to talk about the people with whom they have conflict, but rather to talk to the people with whom they have conflict and to do so humbly, charitably, and promptly? What would it be like for the members of a church family not to be strangers to one another, but to be known to one another as beloved friends? who know how to be present in each other's lives. What would it be like for the members of a church family to see relational conflict as an opportunity to grow in relational grace and not as a dreaded situation from which to run? That bears repeating. What would it be like if we knew how to have relational conflict and see it as a stepping stone to resolution and fellowship in God's family and not just run away from it? What would it be like for the members of a church family to speak frankly to each other as concerns or disagreements arose with such conversation taking place with disarming humility, unusual honesty, Devotion to Christ's honor, but no concern, no concern for one's self-importance. I might say pride. What would it be like if we had no arrogance? Today, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like for this to be more of a conversation. Just sit back, relax, listen to what is said, and think. As both Tom and Pastor Brian said, just, just soak it in. I've tried to pull together a group of object lessons. Several of them are drawn from my own personal experience, my own life. And I hope that they will help to showcase some of the things that might be relevant in your life. But let's start in the beginning, shall we? Mark 12:30, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is Jesus speaking when he was queried about, okay, we got tons of rules here. What are the best rules? Jesus says, this is it. And in fact, he goes on prior to this in Matthew 26, where he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. And just to bring it into the, the functional aspect, Paul's writings, 1 Timothy, where he's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, 
in a new church and trying to give him direction in how to guide this church, he basically does the, read my lips, Bubba, this is a football. This is why we're here. And he says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's why we're here. After six teachings on an earnest appeal to preserve and promote true peace within the body. We're going to talk about the length of your titles, Brian. <laughs> I wanted to attempt to summarize and provide some form of object lesson in this one area, expressed pride, which is also known as arrogance. I felt strongly that I would teach on arrogance, a subject well known by me, unfortunately, and possibly some of you. You can think of these, as I said, as object lessons. Now, there's a VBS meeting after we get done here. Two years ago, I was part of VBS. We were doing Pilgrim's Progress, and the casting department <laughs> cast me as a character named Obstinate, <laughs> Obstinate. All right, I won't go back into, it was fabulous, I won't go too deep into it, but I will say this, it was a little disconcerting how easily I took on the characteristics <laughs> of Obstinate. <laughs> I'd like to think that that was a God thing, <laughs> and not just Charlotta. <laughs> Pride is experienced privately when is it, pride is an internal thing. When it's expressed outwardly, it's arrogance. Pride is the unseen filament in a frosted bulb. If you take a frosted light bulb, not the clear one, but the frosted one, and you look at it and just hold it up, you just have a light bulb. But if you plug it in and turn it on, suddenly the thing glows. All right, the filament in that bulb is like the pride. If it's in you, and we all have it, it's our old nature. If it's in you, that's where it needs to stay. Because when you put it into action, it becomes arrogance, and it becomes evident for everyone to see. Now, I got to do the Greek. There are two Greek forms of the word arrogance used in the New Testament. Essentially meaning the same thing. Huperokos, and you can correct me afterwards, Pastor, means swelling or extravagant as used in arrogant words. The other, phosiosis, means a puffing up of the soul or loftiness, pride. It's incumbent on believers to recognize that being arrogant or having a pompous attitude is contrary to godliness. Arrogance is nothing more than an overt display of one's sense of self-importance. It is akin to that it's all about me mindset. That's what it is. Speaking of, it's all about me. The cousins to arrogance are crabs. Crabs. Criticism, resentment, anger, 
bitterness, and self-pity. Crabs. If you're experiencing any of those, criticism, resentment, anger, bitterness, or self-pity, you're in the wrong place. They hold hands with arrogance and the pride that drives it. So let me share just some short stories out of my recent past. I don't have to go too far back to find examples of arrogance in my life, unfortunately. All right, but let me, I've got four short little stories that I'd like to share with you that might give better language to the different aspects of arrogance. Perceived arrogance is your, your judgment of me because my words and actions remind you of a person with pride. All right, it's your perception of me. I have a friend who's a well-trained doctor and a very close personal friend. I know that he's well-trained because he was my son's pediatrician. And he picked up the pieces after Nathaniel got done crashing skateboards and bicycles and running into things on the basketball court and getting bit by things and just generally stuff that young kids encounter. Ed was always there to put him back together again. He had a practice called Palmetto Pediatrics and lots of people came through the door. He trained in the early days of pediatrics. He was really on the cutting edge of when the idea of pediatrics was developed. Prior to that, a doctor was just a doctor. Whether you were this tall or this tall, it didn't matter. So he's got this new discipline of pediatrics and all the moms are bringing their kids to the doctor because he's a pediatrician. The practice is full and he comes into the room and there's a churchgoer that he knows, someone that's going to church with him, and he comes into the room and she says, my kid is sick. Well, there's a flu that's going around, and if there is, you know, the kids are like rats, they'll pick them up. And so he's seen this before, and he examines the child, and yep, the child is sick, and he says, okay, this is what you need to do. And he writes her a prescription and tells her how she needs to deal with it and walks out the door. A Couple of weeks later, she's back, seeing a different doctor by request in the practice. And the doctor, after the visit, comes to see my friend and says, I think you got a problem. What do you mean? Well, so-and-so was just here and she says, you're a bad doctor. Now, <laughs> what? The child had recovered, the, 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 the flu or whatever it was had run its course, and so on. His friend, the other doctor says, she says you're arrogant and she doesn't wanna see you. Now, I know Ed very well. Admittedly, I didn't know him in the early days of his practice, but I know him, I know his character. This is the man who discipled me, all right? And he is a lot of things, but he's not arrogant. But she saw him 
as arrogant. So what do you do with that? How do you handle something like that? Our popular culture would say, lady, get over it. Right? Sounds to me like you've got a problem. Get over it. There are other doctors in the practice. They'll, they'd be happy to see you. But Ed is a Christian. And she was a Christian. Is a Christian. I know the lady. He had to do something. She saw him as arrogant. He wasn't arrogant, but he still has a responsibility. Matthew 5.23 says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and present your offering. Elsewhere, it says, don't be a stumbling block to your brother. So Ed had to sit down and pray about it. And what he finally did was he wrote her a letter and he apologized to her. Now, you sitting there might think, well, what was he apologizing for? He had nothing to apologize for in that instance. This was not the only case, by the way. Any time it got back to him that there was an issue like this, he would sit down and he would write a letter of apology to that person on principle. I'm not sure in that circumstance what I would have done. I know that in exchanges with my wife, and she's sitting here smiling at me, in exchanges with my wife, I have been heard in the far distant past, of course, because I'm mature now. I have been heard to say, I didn't offer offense. You've taken offense. Why would I apologize to you? I hope I've just answered that question. I would apologize to her because I am a stumbling block. I have a sister who is out of sorts with me. We have a breach in relationship. Perhaps she perceived something that was there, more than likely, perhaps not. But the point is, my responsibility is to restore our relationship, one to the Lord and then to each other. Amen? Okay, if there's anybody who has a problem with this, see me afterwards. I can share a lot of scripture with you on this. This was a difficult one to work through. Okay, let's move to the next story. Trish, are you keeping time? Okay, thank you. About two minutes ago. The first time I did this, I was just back from Africa where they teach all day. I went 66 minutes. It, it caused some frustration. <laughs> Unawares arrogance is where you pursue a certain course of action and are clueless that you are acting in arrogance. It's just who you are, and you're acting in arrogance. Outward sign of inward pride. 
I was at a Bible study a week ago Friday. Trish and I went on this millennium road trip. And I was in South Carolina with a bunch of friends and guys that I hadn't met before at this Bible study. We're in a restaurant. There are probably 25 people there. It's an ecumenical group. We've got all denominations represented. Some of the guys showed up on Harleys. Some of the guys drove up in Lexus. Some were wearing leather. Some were wearing, you know, nice clothes. Um, but they all settled down. We're eating breakfast, and a lesson is brought. And the lesson just happened to be about arrogance. Now I'm sitting, and I've got a guy on my left that's about Joel's size. He's of Ital Italian descent. He's originally from New York City, okay? And he's a pastor. Now, a Yankee local pastor in Charleston, South Carolina. And on my right side, I've got another guy who's a pastor at a church just up the road from where we are. So I'm, I'm sitting between these two guys and we're having this conversation about arrogance. Now, this is a pretty diverse group. And there's a little guy, his name happened to be Ed, sitting across the, sitting across the table from me, and he's got big glasses on. He's probably in his mid-50s, not very assuming, doesn't say much. But for some reason, he, he dove down this rabbit hole about the beatification of saints in the Episcopalian and Catholic Church. Okay, which requires you, you got to have, you, there are a bunch of things you got to, you got to demonstrate that the, the saint through prayer at least twice invoked miracles. I mean, there, there's tradition in, the, in, the, in that side of, of the church that we just don't have. Well, the fellow on my right actually stood up and took this little guy to task and said, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It is the only thing that we use to drive our churches and anything other than this is misguided. And he was very forceful about it. And the poor guy, he's sitting right across from me. His eyes got kind of big, you know, and all the conversation around me just sort of went and stopped. And this guy's standing up as if daring anyone to contradict him. Now, we would agree that doctrinally he was right. But that doesn't make his actions right. Doctrinally, you know, I could have sat there and we could have talked about this all afternoon and been in agreement. But it didn't make what he did and what he said correct. What do you think was going through the mind of the guy across the table? Is he now receptive to anything else this guy is going to say, even if he's right? I don't think so. And yet, if we look around our side of the aisle, if we look around the church today, how many people do we know who are only too happy to walk up and smack somebody with the Bible and tell them how wrong they are? 
That, my friends, is born out of pride and is pure, straightforward arrogance. Okay, so a lot of this stuff is kind of lofty. And um, let, me, let me make this a, a little more personal. I had set this up originally, by the way, so that in each one of these stories, I could, like, for instance, this story, if you wanted to, you could go back to points one, three, six, and seven that Brian raised at the beginning of this series. All of this stuff ties directly back. What if this existed in the church? You can find it. It's there in the notes. Okay. Prideful arrogance. When we're honest with ourselves, are we prideful? I mean, when, when we sit down and really take a close look at us, are, are we devoid of pride or do we have a pretty healthy helping of pride? Now, you're all looking at me, so I'll just tell you. I can be very prideful, as this next story is going to showcase. Trish and I, four days ago, three days ago, we're in the car, we're driving back from South Carolina. Little backstory. The Shaws have a home group the second and fourth Sunday of every month, and we're part of the home group. Trish loves home group, and so we generally attend. So she asks me, are we going to home group? Now this is Friday, we're still driving back. Are we going to home group? This is Friday, and I'm still wrestling with how I'm going to lay this out this morning, this, this whole teaching, and she's asking me if I want to go to home group. Now, I've got the power hand, because I know deep down, I mean, this isn't a conscious thing, but I know that she's not going to go without me. So I'm driving along, and she asked me, are we going to home group? And I said, no. Well, then we drop into a script. And she says, why? What am I going to tell Audrey? <laughs> okay? Now, there's a challenge here. As a full-fledged, arrogant husband at this point, many possible responses came to mind <laughs> as to what she could tell Audrey. All of them prideful. And if I said them, every one of them would be arrogant. However, being married for 44 years has its benefits. And instead of trying to be clever, I simply respond, okay. Okay. Now, that, boys and girls, in its lowest form is called survival. <laughs> in its higher form, it could be loving wisdom. I think I landed somewhere in between. Ben and Audrey, we'll see you at one o'clock and we're bringing Hawaiian rolls wherever you are. Yes. All right. So if you wanted to, you could take points one, two, three, and seven that we started with and relate them to what I just said. Now, 
I asked Trish, Trish, can you contribute something that I could use on Sunday morning? And she thought about it for a moment. She said, yeah, I can. When you make a U-turn in a no U-turn space, and I go, did you hear that? Okay. <laughs> Guys, have you ever heard that? When you do something? I'm a little dry, so I, I can't quite enunciate properly. Now, that wasn't exactly what I had in mind, all right? For one thing, I get tarred with that brush because I just broke the law making a U-turn in a no U-turn space. She's pretty sharp as my wife. Okay. I'm not sure if there was arrogance involved or not. I think she was just genuinely reaching for when, when she does something like this. Okay, and yes, we can talk about being subject to the authority that God has placed over us, Romans 13, 1. Well, that's for another day. But seriously, is the tisk and the roll of the eyes, is that foreign to you? Has anybody got teenagers, raised teenagers, or work with teenagers, Tom, wherever you are? Have you ever seen this? Yeah. Okay, or that sound that I can't make right now because I'm too dry. There you go. Oh, somebody's got it. There you go. That's arrogance. That's arrogance. You could tie it directly back to points one, two, and three in the introduction. Now, we started this morning with the commandment to love. There are some that say all sin, all sin at its root is a failure to love. All four stories showcase the failure to love in the context of Christian fellowship. All four sto stories reveal sin in the Christian body. The proper response of a believer to revealed sin is confession, repentance, and determined resistance not to do it again, which by the power of the Holy Spirit in us is possible. It's impossible without God's loving you, but it's totally possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. We put off our own sinful desires and we put on the mind of Christ. If we are to preserve and promote true peace within the fellowship, we must actively cultivate a, a culture of gracious and godly relationships. These relationships link us one to another in Jesus as he must increase and I must decrease. Now, just for grins, I went and ran a Google search, of course, a Google search on arrogance in the Bible. It was like a ticker tape machine. You remember the old ticker tape machines where the tape would just come out, tick, 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 and it would keep coming out? 
It was like a ticker tape machine. There were hundreds of references in the Old Testament and the New Testament to arrogance. None of them positive, by the way. There's not a single reference in Scripture to arrogance being something that we should aspire to. And when you marry arrogance with pride, and oftentimes in Scripture they come together, there are even more spitting out. So if anybody didn't catch what I was saying today, go and Google arrogance, and you'll get an eyeball full. Now, why did I do this? I did it because there's, there's a common everyday, gotta make this happen aspect to what goes on in scripture. And being a bear of but little brain, did anybody read Pooh Bear to their kids? Being a bear of but little brain, I have to take it in bite-sized pieces. And these kinds of stories, when I started digging, I was a little bit disappointed at how many stories came flooding in that I could have used. But these are illustrations about how if you take the time and try to consider these things in your life, they are accessible. Now, I don't usually do this, and I didn't clear it with Brian, but I'm going to do, I want to make two references. This guy, Jim Collins, back around 2000, between 2000 and 2010, was one of the premier business writers, and he sold millions of books writing about business management. This was one of his last books, and it's called How the Mighty Fall. He takes this whole book to put language to pride goeth before the fall. He takes the whole book and describes hubris, does case studies of people who hit their pinnacle and then disappeared, all in order, he never actually says it, but pride goes before the fall. Even in the business world, if you look carefully, scripture is represented. Now, the last thing I want to say is there's a Bible study going on on Tuesday mornings for the ladies. Um, Faye, Trish, Mary, um, Audrey. Yeah, it's at Audrey's house. You can't forget Audrey. Okay. They've been taking a look at a book which is really interesting called Unoffendable. This is not scripture. It's written by a pastor about his experiences and about scripture. But the book is called Unoffendable, and it's by a guy named Brant Hansen. It's a terrific book. It's just, it's like the playbook. You know, how do I do this? Good question. It's right here. It's very simple English, easy, easily accessible. And if anything that I've said to you today about arrogance sent and received, interests you, I would encourage you to go ahead and borrow or pick up a copy of this book. You probably won't find it at the local library. It's not the kind of book they care. So anyway, there we go. You got seven points, questions, that if we 
said yes to all of them, our fellowship would be transformed. We've got some little examples of how easy it is for this stuff to creep into our everyday and to slime its way into the church. We need to be vigilant. We need to know what it is. We need to know ourselves and be vigilant. Be on guard. Don't, don't give yourself over to just being reactive and dealing with people in a harsh way. These are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We owe them better than that. Father, we give you thanks. We ask that these simple words would be useful in advancing your kingdom. Thank you for the opportunity to be back here today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.